Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. cute. Anyway, hey, welcome to ACF Church. If you are new, we just want to say welcome. Uh, We're glad that you're here with us. And can we just give a hand to all the mamas today? Let's give a hand to all of them. We love you. We're grateful for you. Uh, This is your day. Um, And so I hope that you have a great Mother's Day. We are in a series of talks called Free Money. And uh, it's just a conversation about our finances. Some of you are like, did you plan this for Mother's Day? I did not um, plan it specifically for Mother's Day. But, you know, not that you mothers have a spending problem or anything. I'm just saying. Uh, So uh, awkward laughter. So anyway, um, we are going to have a conversation today about how we can be free with our our finances and what that actually looks like. And so I want to start off with a question here this morning. Who has ever thought that you could get something that would make you happy? Have you ever had this feeling that like, hey, if I get this thing, if I acquire this thing or accomplish this thing, then I'll be happy? I think we tend to, to look towards the future and think uh, there are certain things that we can acquire, certain things that we can get done that will make us happy. Maybe you're in college and you're like, as soon as I get out of college, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be content. Uh, maybe you're after something and you, 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 know, you want a new pickup or a new house um, and, and you think as soon as I get that thing, then I'll be happy. And, and all of us have done this. We've had these things in our minds that we think will make us content and then they never quite uh, provide what they promise, do they? Like they never quite give us what they hope um, they would give us. And, and then we experience what's called buyer's remorse. You ever had buyer's remorse? I think all of us have done this. We've made the impulse buy, had that purchase, and, and then gone like, oh, this didn't quite make me happy. This wasn't what I hoped uh, it, it would provide. For me, every time I eat at Taco Bell, I get buyer's remorse. Um, <laughs> there's something about Taco Bell. It just sounds so good until you get it, and then you're like, why did I do this to my body, right? Um, and, and you've probably had this experience. Maybe you have 
uh, even recently purchased something that you, you thought, hey, this, this is going to kind of scratch an itch or meet a need, and then you, you got it, and you're like, why did I do that? It was either a waste of money or, you know, then you end up buying more stuff. So I want to talk today about what does it actually look like to get free with our finances, because something isn't working. Uh, something isn't working that we constantly are trying to kind of take steps forward and purchase more and get more. And, and, and I, I made this, this uh, point last week that we as human beings become very attached to our stuff. We, we think that it will make us happy and yet it really, it really doesn't. And I want to start off this week like I did last week and just acknowledge the awkwardness in church that when we talk about money, uh, there's a lot of stories, a lot of backgrounds. Maybe you uh, kind of have some money problems that you're struggling with. Um, maybe every time you've gone to church, the, the pastor got up and asked you for money, and so you just feel like the church just wants your money. Um, I don't know what your background is, but um, this topic is a really important topic. In fact, Jesus spends about half of his time teaching, um, teaching on money and finances. So if I want to be like Jesus, as a preacher every other week, folks. So I'm just saying, like, we don't talk about it that much, but it's clearly something that we need to talk about. And, and I want to also just make this uh, plea to you also that you would trust God's heart as we go to the scriptures and, and talk about what does God want from me when it comes to my finances, that you would understand that he's a loving father, a good father that always wants what's best for his children. And so uh, that you'd be open-minded and think, well, what, if he loves me, then he's going to want what's best for me. And, and in the end, what I think that we're going to see is that it is better. God's way is always better in all things, including our finances. And, and in fact, even outside of the church, I think people are beginning to see that, 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 that what is God's way is actually better for people in general. In fact, I ran across this article um, in Time Magazine that was about a study that was done when it comes to our finances. It says this, in a new study published in the Nature Communications, researchers from the University of Zurich in Switzerland told 50 people they'd be receiving about $100 over a few weeks. Half of the people were asked to commit to spending that money on themselves, and half were asked to spend it on someone they knew. As they acted upon their plans to give, they were monitored, and as you may guess, the 50 who gave away their money had a dramatic increase of joy in a variety of other areas of their life. So, interesting, people are starting to notice that generosity is something that, that actually makes people happier. That generous people are the happiest people. And here's what we know about God is that God at his core is generous. In fact, one of the most famous verses, right? For God so loved the world that he gave, right? I memorized that. That's why I'm a pastor. So God so loved the world that he gave. God is a giver. That's what he does. He gives. And so as we pursue a life like God to be like God or like what we see in the life of Jesus, what we pursue is generosity, to become people who are generous. Unfortunately, what we tend to do is we put money on a pedestal and we can't be generous. Money becomes a God to us instead of a gift, and so we can't be generous. And if you want to take notes this morning, just write this down. When we begin to operate as stewards, our money is given a purpose instead of a pedestal. When we begin to operate as stewards, our money is given a purpose instead of a pedestal. Last week, we talked all about this idea that, that we are stewards of God's money, that God is the sole owner of all things, and he hands things to us to be managed, not simply to be kept, but to be managed. He give, gives us things with a purpose, which should, should result in a, in a little bit of fear and trepidation, like, okay, so God is trusting me with this. What does he want me to do with my finances? 
Instead of giving things a purpose, we put things, this money thing on a, on a pedestal and we ask it to provide things that it can never provide. So here are a few things that I think we ask money to provide for us. The first being security. Um, we all tend to think this, that if I have more money, I'm going to feel more secure in life. And then any of you who have been through any major medical issue, uh, you guys know that in a moment, through one diagnosis, your entire financial picture can change, right? And what you thought was so secure and, and, and was keeping you so secure is now yanked out from underneath you, and, and now it's a struggle. And so, but we expect money to give us security. How about power? There's a certain power in having a lot of money, right? Like a certain control that we feel like we have over our lives and over the world around us. And yet, really, money doesn't provide that either. Maybe fun. Maybe ask money to give you fun. And so we've lost the art of learning to have fun without spending money. Uh, maybe you feel this, where you want to go out and have fun with your friends, but you're like, I can't afford to go have fun. And, and at the same time, we all know that we can have fun without spending money. Like we live in Alaska, right? There's so much that we can do without spending a ton of money, but we lose that art. We ask money to give us independence. I think that's a lot of the reason that we want a, a really healthy financial picture is because we feel like we can kind of take care of ourselves. We don't need anybody else. We don't need to depend on anybody or borrow from anybody. If I have money, then I'm independent. And yet at the same time, once again, none of this is secure. All of this can change at any given moment. And so money never provides what we hope it would provide. In fact, in the Bible, there's this book uh, called Ecclesiastes, and I encourage you to read through it sometimes. Uh, so, somebody, uh, people might think that it's a really depressing book, but I actually think it's a really encouraging book, and it's sort of the memoirs of the life of this man named Solomon, and Solomon is known to be the, the richest, most accomplished man that ever lived, and as he describes his life, we start to see what he experienced when he acquired everything that most of us want. And he starts talking about things like, like he throws these parties. And these are parties where when, when Solomon would throw a party, there'd be like a thousand people would show up. I throw a party, like ten people show up. Solomon throws a party, a thousand people show up. And so he's able to, to host thousands of people. And all these people, all these, these people show up to his parties. Then, to feed them, he slaughters thousands of cattle, right? So then, he, then not, not only to feed them, but then it's like he's going to have wine. And so he's got thousands of barrels of wine. So apparently a biblical party is lots of meat and wine. And, and he would throw these massive parties and he, he would say like basically, I got everything everybody wanted and yet it was all meaningless. It was all vanity. And, and he, he had all of this influence and he had this huge empire and all the success that you and I want, he probably had. And he would say, it's all vanity. It's all meaningless. Uh, even like he had all of these women and all of these relationships. And he'd say, I got everything that everybody dreams about, everybody wants. And yet it's all vanity. It's all meaningless. And so I don't know what you think will make you happy. I don't know what it is that you think, if I, just, if I get this, then I'll be content. But this man from the other side of everything that we want looks back at us and says, guys, it's not going to do what you hope it will do. It won't provide what you are hoping it will provide. In the end, it's, it's a mirage. You're chasing after a mirage. And here's the scary part. The scary part for me is that God might actually let us catch it, like he did with Solomon. God might actually, like you might have lots of money and you might be able to acquire this very comfortable lifestyle. And I want to remind you, the scriptures are not an assault on money. And if you're here today, like me, and you drove here in a car, and you actually had breakfast this morning, and you're probably going to go out to lunch, and 
You don't need to feel bad or shame for that. But certainly, as we read through the scriptures, there's a, there's a warning label on our money. That there's a, like every time we get money, we just get excited when really the, the biblical approach to money is to be a little bit terrified. Like, what does this mean that now I have all of these resources at my fingertips? So I want to read through a passage in 1 Timothy. If you want to open it up to it uh, with me, that would be great. If you want to download the ACF Church app, all the scriptures will be with, uh, with you on there. Now, this is a letter written by a man named Timothy, or written by a man named Paul to his apprentice, Timothy, um, who is pastoring a church in Ephesus. And he's encouraging him on church leadership and how he can build this structure and also just approaching some issues that he has that are growing within his church. So this is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation, in a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So verse 10 is maybe one of the most misquoted scriptures in the Bible. Right? Have you heard people say money is the root of all evil? It's not. What's the root of all evil? All kinds of evil. The love of money, right? It's a warning label. Again, we, we heard it from Jesus last week. We're hearing it from Paul this week. Hey, be careful because the love and the pursuit of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And you've seen that before, right? Haven't you seen somebody get greedy and, and seen the things that people are willing to do for greed? I mean, it's just amazing, and, and maybe in your own heart, like I have, where, where I've seen greed rise up in my heart, and, and things that I otherwise wouldn't say or do come out of my life when I give way uh, to greed. So his goal for, for this passage is to describe what real contentment is. So let's just do a raise of hand. Anybody here want to be more content? Does anybody like to be more content? So even if you're not a Christian and you're here just checking out church, you probably want to be more content, right? We all are in pursuit of contentment. It's why we're constantly buying and purchasing and after the next thing. We all just want to be content. The thing is, there's a lot of different definitions of contentment, and so here's how I would des- describe contentment. Contentment is an inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of outward circumstances. It's an inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of outward circumstances. Don't you want that? Wouldn't that be awesome? I want to be cool to just be at peace no matter what. You know, stock market crashes, I'm good, right? Maybe you owned a house in 2008 and then 2009 hit and you were living in the lower 48 and your house went from being worth $300,000 to $150,000 and you're like, I have peace, I'm good. Wouldn't it be great to get a medical diagnosis or to have problems with your teenage children or to struggle in school, but to be at peace no matter what the... I think we all want this. And yet, isn't it true that this contentment, this peace, we all think to some degree we can buy? I mean, isn't it true that we think these these things will contribute to this contentment? And and let's be honest, the culture that we're living in and with technology as it is today, it's not helping us be more content, is it? I mean, you used to have to maybe dream about what your friends had and did at any given moment. Now you can just see it in real time on your Facebook feed, right? If you ever feel a little bit of contentment, the best way to damage that is just open Facebook, right? 
Just scroll down through Instagram, right? Somebody else, they just bought the truck you want, and oh, there's a trailer behind it with a four-wheeler, just to boot, right? Or somebody else has the house that you want, and all their pictures look like Pinterest, right? Their living room's perfect, their children are always happy doing their homework on the kitchen table. Like, everything is just the way that you would hope it would be. I think that, and, and I, I'm not bagging on social media, I'm on like every social media platform, but I'll, I'll be honest, I never, I never open it up and feel better about myself. I never open it up and feel better about my life. And, and maybe you just need to purge a little bit like I have uh, before. What's interesting too is not only that, but advertisers have figured out this discontentment thing, haven't they? And if you're an advertiser, nothing, not speaking anything negative about you, you're, you're actually really brilliant. Um, because what you do works really well on me and so many people. What advertisers have realized is that we all struggle to some degree with the story our life is telling. And so, have you noticed that the best commercials today have nothing to do with the product? They just have nothing. It's never to help you understand the product. In fact, you might get to the end of a commercial and be like, what was that even about? I have to like rewind it and, and take a look and see what the product was at the end. Because all I am is inspired. Oh yeah, I'm supposed to go buy some Dawn soap or something like that, right? And, and what, what people have realized is that we all as humans have written on our heart this desire to be part of a greater story than ourselves. And I just want you to know that that is a God-given desire. That in fact, we were all never meant to live a life that is about our story. We were meant to be part of something much bigger and greater than ourselves. But I think when we are insecure about our own story, you know what we do? We go buy something. We go acquire something because we think that thing will, will contribute to our contentment. And I was thinking about all the commercials that I've seen over the past few years. And um, last Super Bowl which we all know Super Bowl isn't about the game anymore. It's just about the commercials. Um, uh, There's this specific commercial that showed that was, it was really controversial uh, about um, a pickup truck. It was a Dodge uh, pickup commercial, which I'm not anti-Dodge. In fact, I've owned a Dodge, but I want to show you this commercial real quick. Take a look. If you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. By giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know the theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics in physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace. Soul generated by love. Wow, right? It's like, here's my money, I want two. I want two trucks. Like right now, you can just, you can just take it. I, I watch that and I'm just inspired, right? What, what are they selling? Want to be great, right? Be a servant, buy a truck, right? It's interesting. And so I think at face value, um, people were a little frustrated because I think the advertisers sort of showed their cards. People felt a little manipulated, like, okay, that's a bit of a stretch, the connection between, you know, you know be a servant and buy a truck, but even deeper than that is that the, uh, the MLK speech that they used 
actually had nothing to do with that. In fact, if you know anything about this man, he's maybe the least consumeristic person you could ever imagine. And so, um, I love YouTube, right? So, somebody took the rest of this same speech and laid it over the same commercial, and it tells a completely different story. Take a look at this. Uh, The presence of this instinct explains why we are so often taken by advertisers. You know... Uh, those gentlemen of massive verbal persuasion. And they have a way of saying things to you that kind of gets you in the bind. In order to be a man of distinction, you must drink this whiskey. In order to make your neighbors envious, you must drive this type of car. In order to be lovely to love, you must wear this kind of uh, lipstick or this kind of perfume. And you know, before you know it, you're just buying that stuff. And I've got to drive this car because it's something about this car that makes my car a little better than my neighbor's car. And I am sad to say that the nation in which we live is the supreme culprit. And I'm going to continue to say it to America. So, different story all together. Ironic, isn't it? Just dripping with irony. Uh, The difference there, uh, same speech, same imagery, completely different message. And I think it's a great message, is this idea that we are being sold something at all points and all times. And and we don't even, I think we're so used to it now, we don't even notice it. Um, And again, there's nothing wrong with buying things or owning things, but I wonder, I wonder if we realize the kind of discontentment that it's stirring up in our hearts. And how we were actually never meant to live lives of discontentment. That God actually created you to live a life of pure contentment and peace with yourself and with the world around you and with God. And so I think that, I think we're being sold. Um, It's kind of, we're starting to notice that we're being sold and convinced that we can get something from things that will never provide us um, what they say they will. Why do advertisers do this? Like what is the point? You can write this down. The point is we will naturally sacrifice whatever the cost for the story we want our lives to tell. I think that's what they realize is that, that we, we don't even have to be told to do it. We will sacrifice and give up almost anything to, to help our lives to tell the story that we want our lives to tell. Maybe you've, you've been in a place where you're like, I don't like the car I drive because it doesn't tell the story I want my life to tell. In fact, there's been a lot of studies done about this that people connect the kind of vehicle they drive to the perception that they have of themselves, right? Like rock climbers and outdoorsy people, you know what they drive? Subarus, right? You got your construction guys who are really you know, tied up in like, mechanics and, and working on things, drive a, drive a pickup truck, right? Um, and, and so depending on what you see yourself as, you might want a certain type of vehicle because it tells the story of your life. And then you feel a tension when maybe you're like, I'm a pickup guy and I'm driving the minivan, right? And so you struggle because it's not telling the story that you want, uh, that you're, you want your life to tell when it's a perfectly fine vehicle. We will naturally give up and sacrifice whatever the cost for the story we want our lives to tell. The question is, what is the story that you want your life to tell? Like, what is really the story that's worthy of your obsession and your investment in your life? The good thing is Paul tells us how to tell a better story with our lives. Uh, In verse 6, he says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness. What is godliness? Godliness is not just simply to not do the wrong things. 
It's also to do the right things. Godliness is to pursue a a Christ-like life. That's godliness. He says godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, interesting, this whole message is about contentment, and and he's speaking about contentment. Why didn't he just say contentment is great gain? Can't I just pursue contentment? And and isn't that the point of this whole message? Just Brian uh, is saying, just be more content with where I'm at. Be happier with where I'm at. Here's the problem. Contentment without godliness is known as apathy. That's what happens. If you just want to be content and like happy with where you're at, but you don't pursue something good, then what you're going to get is apathy. You're just going to kind of be okay with with what you're doing and not be part of a better story. You're just going to kind of be content with what you have when really as Christians, we're told to pursue greater things and be part of a bigger story. There is something so much greater going on around us that we are intended to be a part of. So to be godly is to love what Jesus loves. It's to let what breaks Jesus' heart break your heart. It's to use your life and your resources and everything you have to be part of his story. That is the great gain. That's the meaningful life that we all hope to get but can never quite acquire through purchasing or getting another thing. Uh, Verse 7 says, For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now, this is a great point. I think we all sort of know this. We're like, yeah, I get it. Um, when I die, I can't take anything with me. Isn't, isn't there like a country song about a, you can't put a trailer hitch on a hearse or something like that? You don't see a hearse with a trailer hitch. Anyway, if there isn't, I'll write it. It'll be a big hit. But it's this idea that we can't take anything with us when we die. And we all know that, but I don't know that we really live like that's coming. Um, so I just want you to do the math real quick. The average person lives to be 78 years old. How many years you got left? Just do the math. You can pull out your phone. I won't judge you. It's fine. Just do the math. For me, it's 43. So I got 43 years left on this earth. For you, you might be doing the math and go, I got less left than I've had, right? I'm on the backside of this. Think about it. How many years do you have left on this earth? Now, whatever that number is, isn't there a certain assumption or drive to feel like whatever that number is, that 28 years, 45 years, 32 years, whatever that is, that we put more value in that than the eternity that we will live after that. Like, isn't it true that sometimes 43 years with my stuff seems better than an eternity with Jesus? Like, wouldn't it be true that that's an obsession for so many of us? And and maybe you don't think that there's a a tension there, but Jesus actually says there's a tension there that you cannot love both God and money. He says this in Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In other words, in the end, we will choose where the authority is in our lives. And it cannot be both. So which part of your existence do you place the more, more, most value on? This few years that you have left or eternity with Jesus. So he goes on and he talks about if we have food and clothing. Um, I just returned from Kenya, uh, went on a trip with Compassion International, and man, we saw some really rough things. We, we walked through one of the largest slums in the world outside of Nairobi. And here's what was interesting is they put us in uh, up in pretty nice um, housing for the week. 
And I, part of the logic is they want to make sure we just didn't get sick, right? Because you can eat contaminated food and end up sick and not able to focus on what you're supposed to focus on. And so we're in this really nice housing. And I just got to tell you, the contrast between where we were during the day and where we were at night was just amazing. I mean, in, in many ways, it was almost sickening for me sometimes where during the day, we're walking through conditions that I've never experienced in my life where people are, are eating nothing and living out of trash and it's just, you know, open sewers running through the street and it's just these conditions that I've never been around. And then at night, I'm sitting at a table with this beautiful set out um, china and, and silverware and people are waiting on me hand and foot and, and one night, I was just almost nauseous by the whole thing. And again, those type of, that setting wouldn't make me sick back home, right? You take me out to a nice dinner, trust me, I'm going to enjoy every second of it. But in that context, with the contrast that I felt, it was like, man, this feels like excess. Can I just take this and wrap it up and take it to those people I saw earlier today? I mean, that's how I felt. And in fact, we've got a group of people that are going to Mexico, and they're going to build a house for a family that doesn't have a home. And I guarantee every single one of them will come back here and they'll go home and they'll stand underneath their shower with clean water coming out of it and they'll be like, I am so spoiled, right? They'll feel so spoiled. And this is really what Paul is helping us do is, is to tell the difference between a need and a want. Now, I'm a parent. I do this with my kids all the time, you know. Daddy, I need the... No, you don't. You don't need it. You want it. And yet at the same time, I am just as guilty of that that I feel like I need certain things, that I long for certain things. And I believe that those things will give me contentment. He says, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Is that you? Would you say that's your philosophy? That once again, whether the market's crashing or it's thriving, whether things are going well in your family or not, whether things in your life are going well or not, you will be content in all circumstances. Verse 9 says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So there's this word want. Um, So is it okay to want to be rich? It sounds like he's saying no. And yet at the same time, like, is it not okay to want more money? Like if you, if you work at a job and you want a raise so you can provide better for yourself or for your family, is that not okay to want? I think what he's saying here, this word want, is not like we use it. Like I kind of want this, I kind of want that. This is a deep longing. This is the kind of want that's like a resolutely planning for something that I will not take a no for an answer on this thing. Whatever it is that you want. And those people who want riches in that way, like, I will get this, this is what I've given the authority to give me a contentment in my life, those people, he's saying, will plunge themselves and trap themselves into harmful desires and ruin and destruction. Once again, isn't that true that greed gives us all of those things? And you know, you don't even have to acquire whatever it is to experience destruction from your wanting. I mean, and we all know that's true, that the obsession itself hurts us, way before we ever acquire whatever it is that we want. In fact, you can write this down. Your heart chooses a master before you ever scan your card, before you ever pick up what it is that you want to pick up, before you ever finally get the thing that you want. Your heart chooses what has been given authority in your life. And if you're wondering what has power, what's my master in my life, 
I'll tell you this. Your master is whatever you've given the power to give you contentment. Whatever has the power to give you contentment in life is what has your commitment in life. Because we are all seeking contentment. So whatever will give you contentment will have your natural commitment and you will sacrifice whatever it takes to get it. So this comes back to an issue of, of mastery and of authority. Like what is it that you've given power and authority in your life? So what do we do with all this? How do we fight discontentment? How do we get through this and, and be part of a greater story? Why don't you flip over to 2 Corinthians. I want to close out with this passage. This is a, a passage where Paul is speaking uh, to a church in Corinth. And, and what's going on right now is there are these uh, Christians in Jerusalem who are starving and need uh, support. And so Paul is raising funds amongst a lot of his churches to support these, these Christians, to, to basically to feed them. And all the churches have raised money except for the church in Corinth. Why? Because they are focused on themselves. And of course, like we do, they think by acquiring and holding on tight to their stuff that they will be happier. Just like anyone else, uh, maybe any of us in this room. And so this is his encouragement and challenge to them. He says, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, And in our love for you, in other words, he's saying, you guys are doing a lot of good things. Don't get me wrong. Like, there's a lot good going on in your life. He says, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is so key. Listen to this. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. You guys see, the best way to be part of a greater story is to become a generous person. It's the best way to be part of the kind of story that you want to experience, the kind of contentment that you want to experience in this life. This is the upside-down principle here, is that to experience contentment, you actually have to begin to release your stuff. We think it's to get more stuff. It's actually the exact opposite. Paul is encouraging this church, no, you need to excel in this act of grace. And I love the way that he puts all of this. He's like, hey, you guys are good at a lot of things, but this you are not good at. This is something that you need to grow in, this act of grace, which generosity is an act of grace. It's an act of grace. He He says, I say this not as a command. In other words, he's not forcing them to do it. Like, I'm not, I'm not telling you, hey, go and give money. But he's saying this will prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. In other words, you guys, if you love Jesus, will excel in generosity. It's just what will naturally happen. It's not a command. It's just what will be a byproduct of the grace that you've received. He's like, your genuine love will overflow with generosity, just like these other churches are experiencing. And then he brings it back to Jesus, which is what we try to do every single week here. And he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Now think about this. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, you could think about Jesus that, that he is like spiritually loaded. Like he is loaded, has all of everything at his fingertips, spiritually loaded. And yet he comes to, to earth, takes on the, the skin of humanity, and makes himself poor like you and us. 
you and I. And then we are spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing to offer. We are lost in our sin, unable to reconcile ourselves uh, to God. And yet Jesus comes, this is called the great exchange, and he exchanges his riches, takes our poverty, and he gives us his riches so we can be rich. That's a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be generous. So every time that you are generous to somebody, what you do is proclaim the gospel. And I don't know if you ever connect those dots, but when you are generous and you're meeting needs and you're letting go of your finances, you're declaring the gospel to others. I think every time that you, even if nobody hears about it, even if you're generous in a way that nobody knows about, you are rehearsing the gospel to your own heart and reminding yourself of the grace by which you have been saved. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what Jesus does for us. And so today, if you lack contentment, you can't just go be content. What you need to do is become generous. And as you become generous, you will suffocate your greed. And this is how we begin to grow in this area. And that's, that's my heart for all of us in this room today is that we would be known by our generosity. That in our city, people would be like, you know what, I don't know what I think about Christians. I don't know what I think about the Bible. I don't even know what I think about Jesus. But what I do know is they are generous. And they are giving. And without even knowing it, our culture will be confronted with the gospel by the way we are generous. And so I want to give you a few quick um, tips on how to take steps forward in this. If you're like, well, how do I start moving towards a generosity? A few things here. First one is this. Seek to be noticed by your faith rather than your finances. First, just seek to be noticed by your faith, by the way that you're committed to the things of God, by the way that you love others and are committed to others. Seek to be known by that. And I know for all of us, like when we buy something, the first thing we do is post it on Instagram, <laughs> you know, because we want to tell that better story, right? What if your story was not known so much by your finances, but was known by your faith, supported by your finances? What if that was your story? Second thing is this. This is really practical. Be the first to pay for dinner. That's it. Like super simple, super practical. I just think as Christians, when we go out to, to dinner with people, just be the first to pay. And if you're like, well, Brian, I don't have that much money, just wait a little bit longer when you're saving up to go out to eat and save up enough to pay for the people you're going with. And then when you take them out, pay for dinner. It's just a simple act of grace, a simple act of generosity. And as you do it, you rehearse the gospel, the great exchange. Jesus was rich, he became poor, and then you were poor, but you became rich through Christ. Number three, this is, a, this is a big one. Decide on a lifestyle cap. Decide on a lifestyle cap. So this is simply like when Amanda and I got married, I remember thinking about all the things that we wanted to do financially. That over the years, we would be able to upgrade our house, right? And then get a bigger house and 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 get a bigger house. And just, it was never ending, right? There was never a point when it was enough. Or like get a nicer car and a nicer car until we were getting like brand new cars every single year, Right? And, and over the years, like, we've started to grow in our finances and acquire things. And, and part of our journey in our finances has been asking the question, what's enough? And this has been a wrestling for us, as I'm sure it is with many of you. What is enough? And, and I just want to encourage you, decide this before you get there. Because when you get there, it won't be enough. I just want you to know. Like, you'll want whatever's next. That's just what we all naturally do. But what if... 
really early, maybe you're in high school or in college, and you're just going to make this decision early on in life that I'm going to have a lifestyle cap. There's a certain amount of money that I want to spend on, on, on living, on, on food, and what that means is that when I get the raise that I didn't expect, or when we begin to multiply our, our, uh, our finances, that then what that does is frees us up to be part of a greater picture of kingdom work in the world. Then you get to dream, like, how can we bless people? What can we do globally? How can we support people on the field? How can we support the local church? What can we do with the now excess that God has given us? Because if you don't have a lifestyle cap, there will, be never any, there will never be any excess. It's always a need. Number four is make it personal. Make it personal. Um, just so you know, whenever you're giving in any way, make it about people. Make sure it's about a human being. It's not just a religious duty. It's something that you're doing because you actually love people and you want them to experience the same grace that you first experienced. It's why throughout this journey as a church, we're um, here in a few weeks going to be breaking ground on our facility. And I've said this multiple times, you guys, I could care less about a building. I could care less about bricks and mortar and like a bright, shiny new building. But what I care about is the city we live in and the people that are our neighbors. And I care about people having a seat when they come to our church and the human beings that we, that we live around. And so make it personal. That's why we give to things. It's about people. It's about those who are yet to come to be part of our community. So when you give, make it about a human being that you're serving, that you're giving to. And then number five, this is the last one. I'd say if you're a Christian, remember your spiritual poverty. As we just said, Jesus was rich. He became poor. We were poor, and then he made us rich. And so some of us today just need to go back to square one and remember the poverty that we came out of. Have you ever met somebody who forgot where they came from? Do you respect that? No. No, you need to remember where you came from. Not that you're driven by or owned by where you came from, but we need to remember where we came from. And if you're a Christian here today, you need to remember where you came from because that shapes where you're going, doesn't it? It shapes who you are today. And when you remember the poverty that you've been taken out of, you will overflow with grace towards those who are in your life. And I've said this before. I believe that the church doesn't have a giving problem. We have a receiving problem. We haven't received enough grace, so we ha- we're not giving grace. We're not becoming generous because we haven't received from a God who is always wanting to be generous f- for us. And maybe this is you today and you're not a Christian and you're just kind of looking in at, at, at this thing today. I want to encourage you, if you are spiritually bankrupt and you're like, yeah, I just feel empty, um, that you would, you would receive your inheritance, that you would just receive today. We're not asking for anything from you, that you'd receive the grace that God wants to pour out on you today. And I just, maybe you're here and you're like, well, I don't take handouts. I want you to know you can't be a Christian if you don't take handouts because that's literally what the gospel is. It's a handout. It's God giving you something that you didn't earn at all. And until you become a receiver, you will never be a giver. And so that's our, our heart. That's my heart for you guys and for all of us today, that we'd grow in generosity, that we'd grow in grace. And if you're here today and you're like, Brian, I stink at this. I'm, I'm not healthy here. Go back to where Christ has taken you from. Spend some time considering who you are apart from his grace, and you will overflow with that kind of grace for others. Let me pray for us. God, we just want to acknowledge how difficult this is and um, how backwards we have this. 
We feel like the contentment that we desire can be purchased or bought or acquired. And yet we see in the life of Jesus, as you show up, you just give your life away for us. And yet you are always content. So God, that's our heart today. Would you show us how to become generous? We, we just confess that we can't do this on our own, um, that we need the power of your spirit to work within us, to convict our hearts, to show us what our next steps are. God, we want our city to be baffled by the grace that they experience from your church. God, no matter where they are with Christianity or with the church, they would be baffled by the, by the way that we give, by the way that we serve, by the way that we're selfless, by the way that we see our eternity as being the focus of our life and not so much the remaining years that we spend on this earth. So God, give us a greater perspective. Show us where you're at work and help us to do whatever it takes to be a part of what you're doing. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.